You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. G'day guys, welcome to The Perth Property Show. Trent Fleskins here, your host as always. Now, apologise for having this one come out a few hours late. We had some technical difficulties getting this to air, but we are on now and I hope that this is a very valuable podcast for you. Today's episode is all about the Q&A session. We do this every few months where our listeners email in, text in and ask some questions that have really just been on their mind. We've got some really pertinent and recent questions that have come up here that a lot of people would like answers to. So we thought, look, let's have a Q&A session, get it all out there and put a few people's minds at ease. We're going to start off today with Eileen. Eileen asks, very topical, interest rates look like they are going to keep on rising. Where do you think they'll stop? Secondly, the media is releasing article after article about how house prices are dropping. Are they? If not, what situation do you envisage Perth prices dropping? Great questions there, Eileen. Uh, Let's get with the first one. How far do we see interest rates rising? Well, interest rates are a derivative of cash rates. So, the cash rate has gone from 0.1% 0.1% to 0.85% over the last two RBA meetings. They've already flagged that they expect that to keep going. Some people are saying that it can't really get higher as a cash rate of 1.5%. Others are saying it'll be 2.5% by the end of this year. I expect that, look, we've got six more meetings until the end of the year. As a maximum, you would expect that could be another 1.5% above 0.85%. So it certainly could be in the 2.5% range by the end of the year. Do I think they're going to keep ticking along to that level? I think we're going to see the RBA probably get it to 1.5% pretty quickly and see how that starts to affect the market, especially with a lot of other costs rising for households. I think there'll be a little bit of mercy there where they'll take a bit of pause, see how 1.5% works with the market before overstepping it and then possibly keep pushing it up to that 2 maybe 2.5% by, if not the end of this year, sometime next year. Now, that's a revision from my previous expectations of maxing out at 1.5%, given just all the noise that most people are saying it needs to get there to control inflation. Uh, I expect there'll be a balancing there of uh, the RBA's understanding of people's hip pockets, uh, but also trying to rein in inflation, which seems to be their number one goal right now. Now, how does that relate to interest rates? Well, interest rates currently sit about 2% above, maybe just a little bit less uh, above the cash rate. That's the margin the bank is making on us. So look, if the cash rate got to 2.5%, I'd expect to see us paying a variable rate of 45 and a fixed rate that it reflects the expectations for the next couple of years after that. So we could see fixed rates sitting in the fives, maybe 6% range as an average and variables in the mid fours. Currently, as most people would recognize for a principal place of residence, most people's variable rates are sitting at around the 25 to 2.7%. If you're not getting that, you should certainly be refinancing and fixed rates are products uh, that are certainly into the high threes, early fours for a lot of time frames too. Do you go towards that? Well, there'd have to be some pretty specific reasons why you're paying overs for your interest rate in exchange for some certainty. Now, the second part of your question, Eileen, is you're starting to see articles coming out talking about house prices dropping. And that's correct. We're seeing a lot of uh, fear-mongering coming from news.com.au, coming out of the AFR, uh, coming even from Commonwealth Bank, talking to prices dropping. Most specifically, they're referring to their main readership, which is Sydney and Melbourne, where prices are dropping. We expect, as I've mentioned for the last few months, 
and have felt for the last couple of years, to be honest, those property markets are well overheated and have done their dash and are certainly ripe for a drop. I expect those drops to be at least 10, 15, even possibly 20% in those markets. They're well overcooked in those markets. And it's not because just arbitrarily interest rates are going up. It's simply, as I've spoken to in previous episodes of the podcast, an affordability situation where they have hit a 60% of their income used for a mortgage cap there, which nationally we've seen historically is a cap. As interest rates go up, that percentage goes up as well because the cost goes up. So what has to happen there? Well, the value of properties start to drop because people can't afford that. So yes, I definitely expect to see Sydney and Melbourne's prices continue to drop. Brisbane's prices are, are continuing to rise. They've had very, very strong market over the last year and a half, way stronger than anyone else really in Australia. Adelaide's is quite strong. So ours is relatively strong, but ours is moderately strong in a way that, again, we're still the most affordable state. And for uh, immigration purposes, for national investment purposes, we have a long way to go before we are deemed unaffordable. With every interest rate rise, does it become less affordable? Certainly. But as I've spoken to in previous episodes, for us to get from a 25% of our income goes to mortgage position where it's now at 60%, that cash rate really has to get up above 3% and or our median house price has to get over a million dollars. And neither of those things are happening in the medium term in my belief. So yeah, we're going to keep hearing noise. It's going to be for the East Coast readership and you need to read through that article to see where things are at. Now, the reality is, Gareth Ed from CBA, their head, head economist, has come out, he's always been quite dovish, come out saying, look, he expects to see another 2% rise for the rest of the year in Perth, which is very dovish. But then an 8% drop along with the rest of the country around that average next year based on rising interest rates. I 100% unequivocally believe that that will not be the case. But proof will be in the pudding. Eileen, thanks for your question. Next question comes from Jared. Jared, asks, I just came off my two-year fixed rate at 1.8% and the new fixed rate offered to me for my home loan is nearly 4%. It's a massive jump. What should I do? Jared, 100%. The fixed rates of the two-year products are factoring in the bank's expectation that they will be otherwise giving variable rates over that two-year period of 4% to people and that's a reflection of their expectations of where cash rates will go, which lines up with that idea that things will be at around 2% cash rate sometime in the short to medium future, which again is a very, very small cash rate historically. And most people listening will recognize that and not be scared by that. It is a healthy economy when a cash rate sits around 2%. Now, what should you do about that? First thing I would say is unless you have mitigating reasons why you need to lock in that certainty at a fixed rate of at least 1.5% above the variable rate at the moment, I would be looking at their variable rate uh, keeping it flexible. And anytime in the future, you can always assess the fixed rate if it suits you. But right now, you're certainly for the first time in, I'd say, three years seeing some benefit to staying with the variable rate, copying the interest rate rises throughout the next year or so, because they'll at least be below on average where your fixed rate will be over that time. So previously, when banks expected rates to keep dropping or to stay the same, the banks were using fixed rates as marketing products to get you across to their bank for a couple of years. Probably not making a lot of money off it, but at least getting you in the door. Now, banks are using the fixed rates as a product where they go, well, look, if you actually want the certainty, we're going to make that money back off you. It's not a great position to be in. And certainly, I'm not a massive fan of fixed rates when 
markets are rising and interest rates are rising. So, Jared, I would suggest that uh, speak to your broker, get them to make that recommendation. But all other things being considered and equal, I'm advising most of my clients that a variable rate is appropriate at the moment. Next question goes to Jeremy. Jeremy says, my builder put the slab down on a triplex in August last year. Congratulations on your development, Jeremy. He asks, we've waited 10 months and only half the bricks are up right now. We've been patient, but we are getting pretty frustrated. Are other people suffering the same issues? Jeremy, this is a pretty poor outcome from your builder. Whilst there have been delays, I would suggest that the reason that they are that delayed, which would cause angst if I was in your position, uh, because they've agreed to a build contract with you that has clearly escalated since you've signed up. They've probably priced in a bricky at something like $2.20, $2.30 per brick. The market has moved to $2.70, $2.80, a brick, and they can't justify paying someone that. So what they've been doing is essentially waiting it out until they can find someone who is willing to work at that price. Unfortunately, what it's done is put your project at risk, especially as a triplex, which is time sensitive to making sure you can finish and sell or rent out in a strong market. It has put your project at risk. That's an exchange for probably a building contract that might be 20, 30, 40K less than what it would have been a couple of months later. So the builder is trying to protect their bottom line by not losing too much money on those line items, but it's putting you at risk. I hope that things are moving now. If they're not, I'd be having a, build, a conversation with your builder about what it would take to get them to start. If you haven't already, I'd be certainly putting pressure on them because what's happened, and we spoke to Carl Hardy-White a couple of weeks ago in this, is that concrete and brickies, we're sort of getting over that hump now and there really shouldn't be more than a two or three week delay to getting a lot of brickies in a lot of situations to site. So if it's waiting any longer now and they haven't got it booked in, I'd certainly be... Uh, having some hard conversations with your builder and if they don't respond, having a conversation with the building commission. Next question comes from Steve. Steve asks, I've expected my builder to take 10 months to build our home. It now seems we are looking at 18 months. Can I charge him interest for the amount? Now, I'm not sure if we've had this question before, but I'll explain how building contracts work in the residential space. Generally, 95% of us will be signed up to a HIA contract, a Housing Industry of Australia contract. And that is one where essentially it's very stitched up in the builder's favor. It means they've got a lot longer than expected. It might be a year or a year and a half or two years to get the build done before any punitive action can really be taken against them. And what that means is whilst we expect it should take nine to 10 months to build that home because they generally take that long in normal times, they've got all the way up to a year, two years, whatever is in your contract to build it without any ramifications. And a lot of the time, they can actually seek an extension for mitigating circumstances like COVID or lack of materials. So it really is stitched up in that way. Whereas a commercial contract that let's say you're building a childcare center or an apartment building or a shopping center, these are normally under Australian standard contracts, very pro forma contracts that then get torn apart and personalized by big lawyers. These generally have clauses in them called liquidated damages. And what that allows for is for the client, if the bill goes past a certain date, to then charge essentially a general interest charge back to the builder to say, look, for every month that you're late, we'll charge you $5,000 or $10,000 or whatever it was that you agreed in that contract. Now, that is never the case generally in a HIA contract. And I'm sure you would have signed a HIA contract in your case. And therefore, unfortunately, you can't do anything really about charging them interest. The only thing you really can do is just like the last question, complain to the building commission and get them to put some pressure on your builder. And unfortunately, that is 
the case for a lot of people in this space. Now, don't get me wrong, it's very obvious, it's logical. The builders want to build these jobs as quickly as possible because cash flow is king in a construction company. And if they're taking forever to get to the next stage, they're taking forever to get to their profit. And their profit generally comes in the last stage. If it takes them a year and a half to get there, well, we're waiting for that time frame. So unfortunately, everyone's losing this situation. Most builders are not in control of these situations. It is the tradies. And right now, a lot of the tradies are letting their builders and therefore their clients down. But it is a market that we're all having to struggle through. Next question comes from Emily. Emily asks, in the last Q&A, Trent, you spoke about development. FISO is not stacking up. Is this still the case? If it is, would you still buy a good development block at a fair price and just wait it out? Great question, Emily. I did mention that FISOs are pretty much not stacking up right now. And the reason for that is let's just use a standard feasibility of a triplex in Warwick, which is a median house price suburb in Perth, as an example. You might have bought that property for just over $500,000 a couple of years ago. You would have done the subdivision for a hundred grand, all other costs considered, stamp duty, whatnot. You then would have had a build for $620,000 turnkey your costs therefore all up are around the 1.2, 1.25 million dollars and you could have sold three units at 500 grand. Profit at the end would have been $250,000. Unfortunately, what's happening now is you're buying that block for 600 grand. The subdivision costs and holding costs and stamp duty add another 100 grand. That's fine. So now you're at 700 and now the build's 850. That's an extra $230,000 on the costs two years ago. So now we're at 1.55 for the costs of the development. And the sales prices for these triplexes are about 550 each. So the profit in the project is 100 grand on $1.55 million. Now a six or 7% return on a project is one that you would consider too slim in most environments and you wouldn't go ahead. Unfortunately, in a median house price example like this, on a very clean triplex development, this is as good as it's getting for most subdivisions at the moment. And it's putting a lot of pressure on developers do I buy the block? Do I not? So what you have, Emily, is three options right now. You can firstly sit out of the market completely for the next two to three years where you perceive too much risk, not enough profit in the feasibility and watch other people either win or lose depending on the quality of their decisions. In the meantime, you're making nothing. Nothing's happening there. You're probably falling behind as inflation rolls through. The next decision you can make is to buy that property at that fair price and just roll straight on even though you see a minimal profitability in the feasibility. You hope that an extra 10% on each of these three triplex units, an extra 50 grand, let's say, turns into 150. Add that to the 100 grand you're going to make and there's your 250 grand profit on a $1.55 million project, which people would say is a reasonable outcome. Now, that is a risk in itself because what you're doing there is assuming a 10% increase in values. Now, certainly I assume that will be the case, but most of us don't like to do our feasibilities based on forward assumptions because anything can happen in a market. None of us have a crystal ball. The final decision you can make is to buy that property at 600 grand, sit on it, maybe get a subdivision approval through, but not spend too much money on it. Just have the plans ready to go when at some point in time in the future, you can prove up that those sales prices have increased by 10%. You've got more confidence in the construction market. Maybe the prices haven't come down to build, but at least there's a lot more fluency in the program. It's taking a lot shorter time. And then you make a dynamic decision nine to 12 months from now about where the market is. You've got your approvals to get moving, but you haven't knocked the house down yet. So you can still have a downside plan of at least some passive growth, hopefully in the market or holding the property longer, renting it out. You've still got that rental income. 
I would say that's the risk mitigated option. The only risk to that, I would say that it's added to it is because you're adding another year of waiting to the development time frame. You're then adding a year on the back end to hope that those uh, properties still have value without a market falling away maybe three years from now. And look, none of us can foresee three years from now where the market is, however strong the fundamentals look right now. I hope that answers your question, Emily. Next question comes from Aaron. Aaron asks, now that the Labor government is in, do you think they'll come after our capital gains tax and negative gearing again like they did in the last election 2019? Especially with interest payments rising, we're all going to need that negative gearing at some point. Good question, Aaron. I think Anthony Albanese is a pretty switched on fella, pretty sensitive to where the tea leaves are. And I think the Labor Party has learned their lessons that the only reason they lost their last election was because Bill Shorten was too confident about his tax increase policies and lost that election. And I don't think Anthony Albanese wants to be a one-term prime minister. I think the uh, people have spoken and the people have said, don't touch my capital gains, don't touch my super, don't touch my negative gearing. Especially in times like these when a lot of investors in the East Coast most pertinently, we'll be feeling it on a cash flow basis massively over the next couple of years with mortgages more than twice the size of ours and rents no different to ours. The Labor Party will probably be very sensitive to those political risks. So I would say, look, my bet is our negative gearing and capital gains are safe for now and it would take some pretty serious structural changes for them to have the confidence to do that. Thanks for the question, Aaron. Last question comes from Annabelle. Annabelle asked, Trent, I've just bought my first investment property. Well done, Annabelle. Congratulations. She asked, what is a fair price for a property manager to charge? What do you think about all-in fees? Annabelle, really good question. I don't know that we've spoken to this much on the podcast, but a fair price for a property manager, look, that can range anywhere from, I'd say, 7.5% to 13%. I've seen that whole spectrum across the market. At Strategic Property Management here, we charge 8% plus GST. I would say that's probably on the lighter end, but we like to do our best for our clients. And that is a price that is for the property management. And then we have fees on top of that for routine inspections, for new leases, leasing the property out when a tenant leases. And there's a number of small fees there that go on top of the 8.8%. That's the standard model in the industry. And what it does is incentivizes property managers to make sure that all those additional services we spoke about are being done regularly. When you have the all-in model, which is offered by a handful of property managers in Perth, sometimes you'll see all-in 10%, all-in 11%. Unfortunately, a couple of things happen. One, I can say categorically that is a fairly unprofitable model for a property management business and what that does is lead to low-quality outcomes, cheap property management staff, understaffed property managers who aren't giving you that support, which is very important when you have an investment property that you want to make sure is maintained well by a tenant. And secondly, they're not incentivized to do that extra routine inspection to check up, to release your property, get a higher rental value for you because there is really no incentive there for those extra services that they provide that you do need. I've seen a number of property managers advertise in this space, all in, all in, and then they're not around a couple of years later. So I would suggest that the model you should be looking for is the traditional model and a fee that you can expect to see will be anywhere from that 7.5 to 13. And then it's really a case of getting to know your property manager, whether they've got the ability, the space in their portfolio with the staff they've got to service you properly, and then making sure all those fees just add up for you. But certainly a property manager is worth it. They're a tax deductible expense for you as well. And when things go wrong, which they often can with tenants, 
they are the difference between a nightmare and a smooth outcome. I highly recommend it and I hope that your investment journey goes well, Annabelle. Guys, that's cup 20 minutes up. Uh, quick one this week and apologies again for the tardiness of the release on a Tuesday morning rather than a Monday, but we'll speak to you next Monday with more fantastic information to come. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!